The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. We're going to start the year with a scripture. The scripture I want to bring to you is Philippians 3, verse 13. Reading from the New King James Version. One thing I do, says Paul, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. Now, there's not a sense in which we want to completely forget 2020 because there are actually a lot of good things that happen to us, a lot of positive things. We learn how to wash our hands thoroughly whilst whilst they're singing happy birthday or something like that. In actual fact, somebody said to me the other day, is it okay if I take a shower or should I only just be washing my hands? But, you know, I think we've got to get beyond that. Um, it was been a, it's been a, an interesting year. You're certainly a year, as we've already mentioned, you didn't need to have a diary planner for 2020. And I'm not altogether certain whether you would need one for 2021, but we're going to find that out as the year goes on. What we do know is that God remains the same. He hasn't changed. He is with us and he is here to help us and to strengthen us. And we have walked through, and we are still walking through, a very difficult time, a challenging time, a time when we realize that we can be, and I think of this for myself, we can be quite free and easy about what we do. We wear a mask outside, but we can be free and easy. But we have to think about other people. We have to think about their health. We have to think about their well-being. And so there are considerations that we need to adjust within ourselves and during this time. And so there's a lot of things that we've... uh, We're learning still as time goes on. But as I say, last year wasn't all negative. A lot of people, even in some of the things I've seen about coming into the new year, a lot of people have reminded themselves again of the fact that last year taught them the blessing of family, the blessing of being together. Yes, I know we were thrown together, we were locked in, we had to get used to one another, and that does have its tensions, which we know. But we know that through relationship, we can work those things through. It takes time, it takes forgiveness, it takes patience. We've had to learn all of those things anew over this past year, and I guess we're still going to have to learn more because none of us are perfect at these things. They're things that we're learning. But it's not as though everything was bad. We learned that family has been a blessing. We learned that relationships are a blessing. We learned that we can achieve relationship and we can work on relationships. And if we've learned that as far as our earthly relationships are concerned, then we also know the importance of building and establishing that relationship with God in heaven and how important that is. And obviously, as we come into a new year, January, the start, the beginning, it's almost like the book of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible. There's something exciting that's new about the start of a new year. There's something that we can refresh ourselves in. And during this time, it's a good thing for us to think, how is my relationship with God? It's a good question to ask it. Let me ask you at home, how is your relationship with God? 
Are you growing close to him? Are you enjoying fellowship with him? Have you found that your relationship is better now than it was at the beginning of 2020? Or perhaps it's a different situation. Perhaps you're thinking like, well, actually, now I stop and think for a moment, my relationship has gone a bit cold. It's gone a bit sour even. It's gone a bit dull. My relationship isn't the same as it used to be. In fact, I would almost say that we seem to be drifting apart rather than growing closer together. Whatever your situation is, let's remember what Paul said to us. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward for those things that lie ahead. You see, we still have life to live here on earth. Jesus has come to us so that we might have life and life in all of its fullness. And if we don't feel that we're experiencing life in all of its fullness, then there's something for us still to be reaching out towards. And sometimes we just have to say, okay, what's past is past. The good, the bad, the indifferent. But now what about the future? And how are we working our relationship up with God as we move into the future? I want to remind you of this. God's purpose has always been to have a close relationship with the man and with the women that he has created. His purpose has always been to have a close relationship with mankind. An uninterrupted, perfect relationship with those whom he has created. And I want to look at this briefly by going back to the book of Genesis and looking at Adam. Adam, the first created man and his relationship with God. And you can read about Adam and the beginnings in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. In fact, what we're talking about this morning comes basically from the first three chapters of Genesis. In the beginning, God created all of the heavens and the earth, and then eventually he came to this pinnacle of his creation, which was that he created man, and he said that he was to rule over all of the other things that God had created. And so Adam is made and he is put into the Garden of Eden and he's given a job. He's given the job of looking after this wonderful garden. Don't forget, this is a garden where there aren't weeds. This is a garden where there is fruitfulness. So you're just bringing forth fruitfulness. It's a joy. It's a blessing. Adam finds fulfillment in that garden. And he has responsibility. God says to Adam, and he brings him the animals that he has created. All the different types, the insects, all the stuff. He brings the animals to him and he says, give them names. But it's because he has fellowship with God. It's because Adam can tap into the wisdom of God that he has the ability to name the animals. And so here we see that Adam is naming the animals. And all of the weird and wonderful names that we now know, zebra, would you have thought of that? Giraffe, would you have thought of that? Elephant. But all of these names are coming out of the connection that Adam has with God. He has relationship with him. And God watches over Adam and cares for Adam. Adam has relationship with him. Now, how did this come about? Well, it came about like this. When God created Adam, it actually says in Genesis 2 verse 7, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. You see, God, Father, Son, and Spirit in heaven, the Spirit is breathed into man. And this creates within man three different parts. Let's have a look at how Adam connected with God. We've got Adam, and Adam is made up of spirit. The Spirit of God was breathed into Adam. That was making him a living being. And it is his spirit 
that connects to God. But he's body, soul, and spirit. So here we see that Adam's spirit is fully alive. His soul is acting as a sort of an intermediary. His soul is connecting to his body and his soul is saying to his body, come, you need to do this because this is what God wants us to do. And so the spirit is directing Adam's life. His soul is communicating the works of the spirit to his body and his body follows on in line. That is how Adam was and that is how he had perfect uninterrupted relationship because the spirit of Adam was able to connect with the spirit of God. And the spirit of Adam was his leading force, if you like. That was his guidance. If we are led by the spirit, Paul says, then we're truly sons of God. Talking about us here on earth. Because the spirit is the one that gives leading to us. And the spirit is the one that makes connection to God. But this is in Genesis chapter 2 I'm talking about here. As soon as we turn into Genesis chapter 3 and we start to read about the fall, that is where sin came into the garden, where the serpent tempts Eve and she eats the forbidden fruit and she gives some to Adam and he takes it and eats it himself as well. As they ate, it says that their eyes were opened. They realized they were naked. But something more than that had happened. They had actually entered into spiritual death. Now in the temptation, the serpent had said to Eve, for God knows, Genesis 3 verse 5, for God knows that when you eat from it, that is this fruit, when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was the major disruption that happened in the relationship between mankind and God. The King James Version puts it like this, and he says, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That's God with a small g. In other words, this is what happens. Because of sin coming into our lives, we start to think of ourselves as being a god. Hey, I can do this. I don't need you, God. I can manage on my own. This self-centered independence came into us when the fall came. And that's not only what happened. As I said, when we sinned, there was a death to our spirit. That vital connecting point between God and mankind had now been caused to die within us, had been separated. And so sin separates us from God. Sin brings spiritual death. And we don't only, as I say, die at that moment. There's this whole sense of us, this I can do attitude takes over. And what we see when we look at actually how this affects our makeup, you've got there Adam at the beginning, that's as it was, that's as it should be. Adam after the fall, you can see that Adam now is being governed by his soul and his body. His soul and his body are like come together. This, is, this connection is what Paul calls the flesh that drives us. And the flesh leads us to do worldly things. You can see that the flesh connects you towards the world, the flesh and the devil. It connects you to those things of the world. It says, I want to do this. I don't need to listen to God. I can manage. I don't need him. The spirit has died. And now the flesh has risen up. This connection between the soul and the body is leading us rather than being led by the spirit. And so you can see it's not that God isn't there, but our desire, our connection is more towards with the things of the world 
than it is towards the things of God. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the power of the Spirit in him taking control, Adam's body and soul take the lead. And so as we can see, what is, it's a body, soul, spirit. The body takes the first place rather than the spirit taking the first place. Now, I want us to understand this because if we are to connect with God in the way that Adam originally connected with God, if we're to connect with God in the way that God wants us to, then we have to make sure that our spirits are strengthened. If all we're doing is strengthening our flesh, then we're going to be drawn away from God. We're going to be drawn away to the things of the world. But if we're strengthening our spirits, then it gives us the ability to revitalize that connection we can have with God and draw back to Him. There is a re-education that needs to take place within us so we're not body, soul, spirit, but that we become spirit. We are being led by the Spirit and our spirits speak to our souls and our souls translate that to our bodies. Now Paul talks about this sort of struggle that happens within the human being. This subduing of the flesh, which is this soul-body combination within us and helping us get in the right order. In Romans 7, verses 18 to 20, he, he says this, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is sin in me that does it. And even as you read that, I know it's a little bit confusing the way Paul says things sometimes, but you can get what he's saying. He's saying, look, look within me, I find that there's a, there's a force within me. And you know what? I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do the right thing. But so often I find that actually I'm doing things that I don't want to do. But we know what that's like because we experience that in our own lives. We understand that battle because that's something that happens to every one of us. Maybe it's not every day, but you do know what I'm talking about because you have experienced these things. And Paul was just writing down the experience of the human heart because of this body-soul connection that is leading us, this flesh that is driving us towards the things of the world. And Paul describes that struggle again, perhaps in more detail or in a different way to help us have some more understanding. In Galatians. In Galatians 5 verse 17, he says this, the sinful nature, that is this flesh, this, this power, this force that drives us towards the things of the world. The sinful nature wants to do evil. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. I understand that. Because that's what happens. It happens in the mind. You feel those thoughts, those things that are conflicting, that are pushing you. Shall I do this? I know I shouldn't, but, you know, oh, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And that was just with taking the chocolates again after Christmas. You felt those pressures. 
I don't know, we say, oh, that's just chocolate. Listen, that's an example of what is going on. There's a battle that is going on. And here I'm talking about the battle of the flesh that takes us away from the things of God. But we wanted relationship with him. Our hearts were saying, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, just as Paul said. But I find my flesh actually said, well, you know what? I haven't got time today. I, I, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And as soon as we hear that within ourselves, that voice of, I won't do this now, I will put it off to tomorrow, we know that the enemy has had another day of victory because he needn't worry about the rest of today. Today has been conquered. Tomorrow is a new day. This is the situation we find ourselves in. But you know what? We are not... The only ones. This is not like we're talking to this generation. This is our problem. This is the problem of mankind ever since sin entered into the world and disrupted that perfect relationship. Our issue is not understanding it. Our issue is knowing how do we get away from it. I want to reflect back on the disciples. The disciples we want to put on a pedestal because they were with Jesus. Surely they didn't suffer any of these problems. No, but they did. I want to take you to the Garden of Gethsemane. So here we've got Jesus with his disciples. He's going to face the cross. He knows the immediacy of everything. And Jesus understands the pressure far above what the other disciples understand. He takes them to Gethsemane. He says, guys, we need to pray. He says, I'm going to go and pray. Will you sit here and pray? I'm just going over here to pray. So Jesus just goes a little bit further to pray. And it says that he is in earnest. There's blood and sweat pouring from his brow as he is praying. And he's been praying like that for some time. And he comes back to his disciples. Matthew reports this in Matthew 27, 40 and 41. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watching me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Then Jesus said this, The spirit is willing. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit, you see, body, soul and spirit that we are made up of, the spirit part of us, which has come alive because of what Jesus has done on the cross, and when we receive salvation, our spirit, which would died, now becomes alive again and now becomes functional so that it can reach out to God again, just as it was with Adam. But don't forget, we're still suffering from this confusion within ourselves that our souls and our body keep driving us away. Our flesh keeps dominating because we, we have to take responsibility of making sure that we're walking in a new way. We have the help of the Holy Spirit who has come to make our spirits alive again, but there is a responsibility that we have. And we see here, even for the disciples, look, their spirits were willing. They were prepared to pray. But, and Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, the flesh is weak, I, it's not actually that it's weak. Really, I think it should be. The flesh is strong because it can hold you from doing what the Spirit wants to do. Going back to Galatians, we're looking at what Paul said. There's a battle that's going on within us and that battle can be won by the flesh. That battle can take hold of us. So whereas we said, no, Jesus, we're going to pray with you, the disciples were saying. We're going to be here for an hour. We're going to join you in this because we know you've got a mission ahead of you. We're going to be like, oh, I don't know, guys. We're just feeling a bit tired. 
So Jesus goes to pray, and he comes back and says, guys, what happened? What happened? You said you were going to pray with me. I've only been gone for an hour. I need your prayers. Because let's face facts, the prayer that Jesus was praying is, Lord, I want to give up. But I need to press on because I need to accomplish this task. So give me the grace. Jesus needed the prayer of these disciples. And here they were. They were struggling with the flesh. You see, the flesh is able to do something. It's able to help us keep away from the things of the kingdom of God. It's a negative thing that it does. It can hinder our prayer lives. It hindered the prayer life of these disciples. And you see, it can hinder our prayer lives too. The spirit in the disciples was willing to make them to pray, but their flesh was causing them to slumber and to prevent them from praying in the same manner as Jesus was praying. And let's not forget, these are the same disciples who had said to Jesus, hey Lord, teach us to pray. So it's not as though they had never received any instruction about prayer. It's just that at this point, we see that their flesh is strong and their spirit hasn't learnt to control the flesh and to guide itself towards God. And you know, look, that's their problem. That's what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. But the sad news is we still suffer from these issues today. Let me give you some quotes about prayer. Adam Clark, a Methodist theologian from the uh, early 1800s, he, he said this, Prayer, he said, is the language of dependence. He who prays not is endeavoring to live independently of God. This was the first curse and continues to be the greatest curse of mankind. Now what Adam Clark is writing there about prayers, he's just putting it in the perspective of all that we've been talking about. He's saying, look, prayer actually shows itself in one way. Prayer, and don't forget, prayer isn't just I put my hands together and I get down on my knees. Prayer, in its essence, in its fullness, is this. It's relationship with heaven. It's relationship with God. We sometimes think of it as bringing our lists, bringing our needs, making sure that God knows what's going on in our lives. He already knows. Because he knows everything about you, even before you came to your knees. But what he is wanting above everything else is relationship with you. He doesn't want your flesh to be taking you off to the things of the world. He wants you. He's created you for purpose, for his purposes, and he is wanting you in his presence. And we're just saying, Lord, I'm not quite sure what I've got to say. He says, I don't mind really what you have to say. I want you before me. I want to make connection with you. But what Adam Clark points out in his quote is the fact that because of the fall, because of our tendency to want to be like God, because of this driving force of independence in us, we find ourselves becoming prayerless. We move away from that point of relationship and we just get on with, well, this is normal life. This is how it is. This is what I've got to do. I'm so busy doing these things, I haven't got the time to do that. And so we find that actually we become disconnected. Prayer is the language of dependence. You know what one of the greatest problems that we have, and I know this because I face it, 
and I'm trying to deal with it in my life, is this, we don't believe that without God we will cease to exist. We don't believe that. We believe that tomorrow's coming. Oh, I need to make plans for tomorrow. Oh, every now and again in church we will make a reference to say, hey, listen, we know my hands are in the hands of the Lord. But you see, the actions of our lives would display how much we believe that. Because prayer is the language of dependence. And therefore, if we had dependence upon him, it would be mirrored in the effect of our prayer life. Because that's what God wants. This is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a situation of our independence, our flesh taking us away to the things of the world, rather than us surrendering and saying, Lord, I want to come to you. I've been thinking about it a lot. How can we get to this place of understanding that actually, without God, we are as nothing? You know, God has given us his word. He says, man shall not live on bread only. It's not only the food that you need. You need to have spiritual substance in your life. You need to have more than that. You know, it's not only that we don't believe that actually we can function without God. We also don't believe that prayerlessness is a sin. And yet the Bible says that it is. If we go back to Samuel, Samuel the prophet, you remember the time, or if you don't, I'll tell you. Samuel was in a situation where he was leading the nation and Israel had said, look, we've we love you, Samuel. We, we appreciate the way your leadership, but we want a king. We want a king like the other nations. And Samuel was very distressed about this, but God allowed this to happen, and there was the beginnings of the raising up of the first king of Israel. But in the midst of this, Samuel told the people off, basically. He rebuked them. He said, listen, you don't understand. If you're going to have a king, you're going to have these problems. You're going to have this. The king's going to demand food. He's going to demand that your sons are taken into his army. And You need to remember these things. If you want a king, this is going to happen to you. And that's the situation. But Samuel also says this in the midst of this rebuke and this, this whole lecture, if you like, that he's given to the nation. 1 Samuel 12, 23, he says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord. By failing to pray for you. That's the only time it's mentioned in Scripture, but there is a mention there that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Prayerlessness is a sin. Oh, if only I really believed that. Maybe there would be a change. Oh, if only I would really believe that I cannot function without God, there would be a change. Because you see, the more I know that I need Him, the more I am going to want to connect to Him. I'm going to be driven towards Him. But you see, the Bible does say that we can't live without Him. John 15 verse 5 says this, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. For those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, and Jesus went on to say this, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Job writes this, he said, or says this, if God were to take back his spirit and withdraw his breath, all life would cease and humanity would turn again to dust. 
Folks, the importance, that it's important for us to get hold of this at the beginning of this year. Self-sufficiency is a wretched disease within the human heart that takes us away from dependency upon God and causes us continually to believe that we have the ability to do what it takes to get through. It's a lie, it's a deception, and one day it will come home to roost. But until that day, it keeps living on. But it's something that we have to deal with because we want relationship with God. Paul says this, and you can see how important it is in what I've been saying. Paul says this, one thing I do. In other words, we hear these words, it's time to take action. Forgetting what lies behind. Okay, that was last week. That was yesterday. That was last year when I was operating in that. Now, it's time to make a change. Now it's time to face the facts. Now it's time to consider these issues. Now it's time to rethink through my relationship with God. Now it's time to begin a new course of action. Because we're at the beginning of a new year. So now I can forget those things that are behind, but I can reach forward. Reach forward. Doesn't mean to say you grab them right now. It means you are seeking to apprehend them as time moves on. And we want to become awakened to the real issue that we are facing. So as we come to January, as we come to this, from next Sunday, next Sunday we're going to start a period of seeking the Lord. A time of spiritual refreshment that anybody can join in with. From next Sunday we're going to have a week where we're just going to give out some Bible readings. There'll be some that can be done online. But we're going to give Bible readings just to encourage us. Look, come on, let's make our focus. Let's start to make steps to bring ourselves away from a place of prayerlessness and of destructive relationship with God, but into a place where there is a re-establishment of relationship and a renewal of our spirits before him. That's what we want to do. So we're coming to a, basically a two-week period. We're going to have a time of Bible reading, we're going to have a time of prayer, and ending that two weeks with 24 hours of prayer. How that's going to be worked out, we shall tell you about in time. And fasting through that. If you want to fast and fast during that time, then please do. What about fasting? Perhaps I'll speak a bit more about fasting next week. Fasting is a revolting thing. It's a revolting thing. Especially after you've been feasting. I prefer feasting to fasting. But you see, feasting has the tendency to increase the strength of my flesh. Whereas fasting has the tendency to demolish the strength of my flesh but to increase the power of my spirit. So whilst it is painful, as it were, to the mind and to the the body, it is actually wonderful in terms of the spirit and what it can do for the spirit. So I want to encourage people to fast or to give up something, however you want to fast. A good way of fasting is not to eat. That's actually what it means. But I know that that doesn't go with everybody. But look, I'm just encouraging people. The thing is this, James in his letter, promises this. He says, James 4 verse 8, draw near to God and he will, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So there's a promise that as we seek to bring ourselves towards God, God comes towards us to meet with us. Do you want to meet with God? Do you want to know more about him? Right, we'll make it your aim to seek for him. Because as we position ourselves before him, he can come to us. And in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 14, there is an absolute promise. 
then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. If ever we've got anything that we need to lay hold of, it is that scripture to say, Lord, as I come to you, you have promised. Because there are times when you're knocking on heaven's door saying, Lord, I'm here. I've run out of words. I don't know what to say. And I was hoping to meet with you, but I can't seem to find you. But you have promised. You have promised that if I seek you with all of my heart, I will be found by you. So, Father, please help me in that. So I want to encourage you. Look, we're not the only people who have suffered from this. This isn't a case of us pointing the finger. This is a case of us understanding the reality. Prayerlessness is an absolute sign that our hearts are more interested in governing ourselves than connecting with God. It's a measure. So we can take, we can look, okay, what's my life like? What's my prayer life like? And next week I hope to talk a little bit more about prayer so we have an understanding that prayer isn't just bringing our requests. Prayer is seeing the gateway of heaven opened so that we may have fellowship with the King of Kings. That's what prayer is. And that's what we're positioning ourselves and pointing ourselves towards. But we'll speak more of that next week. I just want to tell you, be encouraged. Let's forget what lies behind. Let's press on to take hold of the things that God has for us as we move into this new year. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.